Okay, if I were okay, if I were to define Corona Crew in three words, it would be fun, awesome. Yeah, that's all I got. Two. I got two words to describe okay. Corona Crew. <laughs> two out of three. Welcome to episode. I think we are on number twelve. I'm really bad at math. This could be episode eleven, but we're rolling with it. Um, Numbers don't matter. We are in the time of COVID. Also true. Fair. Nothing matters in the time of COVID other than kindness and connection. Wow, that was... Okay, why we all come tonight. Oh, big thumbs up. I didn't know that you could do that. Uh, oh my gosh, Katie. So this is why I like Zoom. <laughs> this is why I have so much to learn from you. Um, <laughs> but here we are. We are here in uh, the spirit of kindness and the spirit of gathering together over dinner, but not dinner, over a meal of conversation. So we have Mr. Dave Payne, who rarely makes a uh, debut on camera. So we've got Dave coming from the nice USD San Francisco Bay, or San Diego Bay, excuse me. Mission Bay, San Diego. Mission Bay, San Diego. Oh, not so actually, crazy. but like. Um, oh. And then <laughs> we also have our international guest. We've got Mel Webb uh, <laughs> joining us from Brit or, uh, Vancouver. Yeah, Canada geography. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, we've got a second time uh, attendee. We've got Miss Katie Varga coming from Kent School in Kent, Connecticut. Appalachian Trail, what up? (laughs) All right, but we've got a special treat for you tonight. Katie Varga is actually going to take my spot. I'm going to roll this over to the other Katie. Plot twist. Plot twist. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode 12. I'm so pumped to have these amazing guests tonight. Um, So Dave, Mel, and Katie, would you guys feel comfortable kind of telling us a little bit about how you got into rowing? Um, Just a brief, like, one-minute elevator speech story about how you first came about rowing. Dave, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So it was my first year of college at UC San Diego. I was walking down one of the main walkways of campus, and the head coach, Mark Davis, happened to see me, and he handed me a flyer. It was like, you should row. Um, the subtext, of course, being you look very tall, tall, mildly athletic, and kind of awkward, you probably would be a good rower. And me being the young, naive 18-year-old, I was like, I will take every flyer anyone hands to me. So I get home, which my dorm room after that, and I have, you know, a stack of 3,000 flyers, and I'm sifting through like, no, I want to, don't want to do basket weaving, maybe I want to do rowing. And then look at the phone, I'm like, I'll go to the meeting. And then the next thing I know, it's 4.15 in the morning, and my alarm's going off, and I'm doing this sport and loving it. And everyone's like, why do you like it? I was like, I don't know. Um, and my favorite thing is I'm not a warning person, especially that early. And I remember my novice coach talking to me my senior year and he was like, you're so, you were so quiet. I didn't know if you liked the sport. I didn't know you were going to last this long. He said, I, you said like three words the entire, entirety of your novice year. Like, I thought you hated me. I was like, nope, I loved it. Loved everything. You just had to wait till like 9am and then I'd actually start speaking again. (laughs) That's amazing. Like after practice in a bagel, you're like, okay, yeah. now I can start talking with people. I was great. The car ride back from practice, I was chattering, like chatting. Breakfast was good. In class, I'd ask questions. You know, that whole like 4.45 to 7.45 a.m., nope, you aren't going to get a peep out of me. Amazing. <laughs> For the record, I want to use that that word. Can we put that in Webster's Dictionary? Chattering? Yes. <laughs> chattering sounds like chaturanga from yoga. Yes. Yeah. 
Mm. Yes, it's very difficult, but you're also talking. You're trying to push <laughs> yourself slowly to the floor. Katie, can you tell us a quick story about how you discovered rowing and your relationship to it? My relationship to it, uh, love, hate, uh, happy marriage. Um, but uh, no, but really, happy marriage. We're very much happy together. We've been together since uh, 2007. Uh, also, like Dave, was a walk-on in college. Um, thought rowing was cool and so cool that I actually broke my leg at the top of a mountain, became a coxswain, and then I just haven't gotten out of the seat. So, okay, Mel Webb. Drum roll. Oh, thanks, team. Um, I don't know how I learned about rowing. Specifically, I think I thought it was cool and that it was something that, like, preppy people did. But my private school didn't have rowing, so I was bummed and all the other private schools had rowing. And then I went back to public school in grade 10, and I was supposed to work at my grandfather's law firm between uh, summer and school starting. As, like, a 16-year-old? Yeah, I was going to do like some filing for him and secretary and whatever. And advice, like legal advice, maybe a paralegal role. No, 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 no. I just came through. Yeah, I just found the files for the lawyers. Um, but anyways, <laughs> I was supposed to start and then like two days before I had like crazy bad social anxiety in high school. And I was like, adults, a job, people I don't know every day. Like, and I freaked out. And I was like, mom, I can't go. And she's like, well, you're not sitting at home and doing nothing this summer. And she's like, if you're not getting a job, you're going to camp. And the only camp that will take you is learn to row. And I was like, mom, I'm 16. All these kids are 12. And I was so <laughs> mad. I was so mad. <laughs> and then after one day of learn to row camp, I came home, like biked home from the boathouse. And I was like, mom, this is the best thing you ever did to me. And I was hooked. <laughs> so I can't believe you admitted that to your mother as a 16 year old. I'm yeah. trying to imagine one I time it. where I agreed with her. That was like probably yeah, the point. She goes in, she goes, I object. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I rode and I was like gung ho on becoming a lightweight and getting recruited. And my coach was like, Mel, you're 5'2 and like 120 pounds, probably not getting recruited. And then uh, I got hurt and then I got in a coxswain seat and I was like, and all the guys were like, wait, you're good at this. And I was like, yeah, I love this. I'm never touching an oar ever again. <laughs> 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 Nine suit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my story of how I um, got into it. That is so funny. Like I feel like there are so many, especially at my school too. Like I feel like there are so many kids who kind of stumble into the sport. Um, mm. Whether it's like a Dave story where people are kind of like give you the up down and are like, um, we always tell this to our kids who are looking to come to Kent that like most of our athletes actually just walk on in high school and develop their love for the sport over the course of the year. So we have kids who are like hockey players who learn to row and we have kids who play soccer or cross country who have never done rowing before, who just kind of stumble into it. And it's just so cool to, to see that and see them fall in love with it. Um, so hey, hold on. Yes. You're up. What's your, I'm up. how'd you get into rowing? Oh, when I was in high school, um, which was half of my life ago, what? I'm that old girl. <laughs> so I was really big into soccer and to track and I did the godforsaken 3000 meter run, which is seven Ooh. and a half freaking laps around the track. Okay. And you're um, going full tilt, full tilt, losing track of how many laps you've done. Like, losing yeah. Track of the track. yeah. Ooh. 
what, what, what. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of dead set on pursuing those in college. I broke my leg, got two surgeries um, and had screws put in all this. I was like, oh my God, I need to do something. I can't not do a sport. Like it was so important to my identity. So I just walked on to crew um, and kind of a similar story to Dave. I mean, I'm not tall, but I want to be around this girl. You know, she had like a huge back tat. I was like, these are, these are my people. <laughs> these are my um, people. <laughs> so, so I know for me in particular, like my relationships to my coaches were a major factor in why I pursued a career in teaching and coaching. Um, so I'd love to pivot here and give you guys a chance to reflect on some of the coaches that had an enormous impact on your life as coaches. Um, so Dave, do you want to kick us off again and tell us a little bit maybe about your favorite coaching memories or who are the people that really inspired you to pursue a career in coaching crew? Yeah. So I will tell my, uh, why, uh, so my novice coach was the one who kept me going and got me really into the sport when it was 4.45 in the morning and I like couldn't function as a human, but I kept wanting to come back. Um, his name is Zach Johnson, coached at UC San Diego for years and years, but he was one of those coaches who was just, he was very calm. He was very tough. And he just, something about the way he was, he, you wanted to work hard for him. You knew every time he gave you feedback, it was sincere and He's one of those coaches who wouldn't often say good job, but when he said it, he meant it. And you really wanted to get that, get that, um, like, hey, nice job, good work with that, crush that piece, because you knew that meant you were really trying. Um, he also was really funny. One of my favorite stories is so when you're a novice rower, one of the things I was teaching is you keep your head in the boat. And so being a novice rower who was not good at that, I, you know, I stared like, look at the blade. Oh, wow, there it goes back. And the, oh, it's in the water now. What? Oh, no, it's out of the water. Oh, my gosh. Square feather. This is so cool. And so, of course, I'm rowing. Are you saying these things the whole time? <laughs> Internal Again, dialogue. Five, yeah. At 5 a.m., who knows what's going on in my head. I'm assuming at this point that's what it was. But I remember practicing. He stops when he's like, Dave, who's the greatest, who's the most beautiful supermodel in the world? And I was like, what? Like, why are you asking me questions? He's like, who is like your favorite supermodel? Who's the most beautiful woman in the entire world? Someone's going to go knocking on your door with a six pack. Who's it going to be? And I was like, Halle Berry. She had just been in that James Bond movie. It was great. So I say that and he goes, cool. Is Halle Berry on your oar? And everyone in the boat turns and looks at my oar. And then we turn to look back at coach and go, no coach. She is not. He goes, Okay, don't look at your oar then. I can't Which, believe everyone turned and looked and they were like, we better double check. Is yeah, that what the UC like, San Diego be, logo is? Is she? And then we, of course, spend the whole year being like, well, what if we like put a, put a sticker of her on the oar? Then she would be like, well, the coach, now I can, now I can watch. There's her face right there. Um, <laughs> so Zach had all these Zachisms that he sprinkled throughout the entire year um, to mix in the whole, like, you're working really hard. You are doing everything you can to get that good job. And also you're laughing because sometimes you have to remember that the sport is fun and exciting. Um, and when I started coaching, I remember thinking about that, wanting to make sure I'm the type of person who wants to say good job to everyone. Like, oh, you're trying, good job, good job, good. And just word vomiting compliments. And then thinking back and realizing it's good on some level to make sure even that positive reinforcement, but also if you say it for everything all the time, it doesn't mean anything. And so especially the first couple of years I was coaching, I had to work really hard to think to tone that down and still be supportive of my athletes, but also make sure that when I was giving them that positive reinforcement, it was valid. It was worth it. It wasn't just like you took a stroke. 
I'm super proud of you. Great job. Oh, you took another one. That's also a great job. Oh my gosh, you've taken five strokes in a row. And they're like, I'm on the warm up. Of course, I've taken these five strokes. Um, but also having a little bit of appropriate, but like having that humor in as well about how things are going and what you should focus on. Oh, Dave, that was such a great story. Thanks. Mel, what about you? What, who are some of the coaches that really motivated you to pursue a career in coaching as well? I have two coaches, my learn to row coach and who was the junior coach at my club, the Dawn Rowing Club in Mississauga, Ontario. His name was Ed Kornachuk and Ed was this like most hilarious guy ever. And he was so passionate about rowing and the perfect coach to get learn to rows and juniors fired up. I don't know. I actually don't know what he taught us about technique, but he made me feel, and he probably did, but he made me feel so fired up about rowing and the connection you can build with people that like, that's absolutely what you need at the beginning of the sport because let's face it, no junior is amazing. I mean, they'll obviously get better, but they're not at the, it's really just about falling in love with the sport and enjoying it so that you actually want to keep doing it and refining your craft. And then in undergrad, I was super privileged to be coached by Volker Nolte, who like basically wrote the book on rowing. He wrote the book Rowing Faster. Um, he's coached <laughs> he multiple didn't Olympics. Book of rowing. Yeah, like he is, <laughs> he's the man. And Volker, <laughs> Volker was hilarious he's like for context he's uh German Canadian and he has a very thick German accent and he had many sayings but the one that he said the most was turn this negative into a positive and so all the time there was no bad scenario anything that could be bad you had to just turn it into a positive and so now when things suck or anything, I'll like, like I have it drilled into my mind that Mel, you must turn this negative into a positive. And then there was, oh man, I mean, I could go on about the guy. Oh, the other one was no one has died from this. And I'm, I'm sure someone has had some fluke health uh, thing happen on an erg. However, out of, his like, pure, out of pure effort and like trying hard, it's that, you can always go a little bit harder and you can always, you can always surprise yourself. And so by turning negative situations into positives and believing that you won't die from this, um, you can achieve like quite a lot, which was pretty awesome. And he was a little bit of a tough guy, not a little bit, like a lot. Um, <laughs> I was so scared of him before I went to undergrad and I was like, Oh my gosh, I just, I just need to not, be on his wrong side because I'd heard people be scared of him and he's got all these accolades um and then he ended up becoming like pretty much a like second father to me in the sense that he was just such a kind caring person and truly I, like he called the western team the big purple machine and we were a family and it was like oh my gosh I mean I'll start crying <laughs> <laughs> I think that he he really fostered a sense of how important community and team is. And when you have coaches who care and believe in the power of a team that like there's no superstar and that there's simple ways to thrive together, I, like that to me was a huge unlock and something that I really strive to carry in coaching and in my career. It's awesome, Mel. Um, Katie okay. Lane, anything you want to add to this with coaches who influence you maybe not just rowing coaches but other coaches as well uh sure um I talked last week about how I don't necessarily look to one coach that I draw from a network of coaches both ones that I've had and also ones that I work with now um but one instance where I looked at somebody and was like 
no, this is it, was uh, 2010, uh, my senior year in college, I was like, I'm going to try this whole rowing coach thing. And so I went down to the U.S. Rowing Convention um, and to really paint the picture. So I'm going down there just completely on my own. Um, I call my mom and I'm like, mom, what do I wear to a convention? And she's like, oh, you need to bring tights, like skirts, like, you know, like, and, and everything. So um, <laughs> I go down to, yep, uh, here I go down to Tampa, Florida. No, I knew one person that was going to be there. I didn't know anybody else. I get changed the first day and I'm there in a long sleeve button up white shirt, seersucker, pink skirt, tights and heels. And I come down the escalator and my friend Chris is right there and he takes one look and he goes, you have to go change. <laughs> I was like, what? what do you mean? And he was like, no, Katie, you need to go change. And I was like, oh, okay. And, but I was like, I just have, and he was like, tell me you brought something else besides like a skirt or dress for like the next three days. And I was like, no. And all of a sudden you just look up and it's like, you're all in casual clothes and spandex. <laughs> so if I didn't stick out like a sore thumb before I did, uh, found out I was the youngest one there. But the first talk that I went to walked in with my notebook, like, oh my God, I'm going to take so many notes and and with that, it was Kevin Sauer from UVA who was presenting. And within 90 seconds of him starting his presentation, he jumps up on top of the table and he just starts speaking and he's so animated and this and that. And I just was sitting there in awe being like, if this guy is this passionate about what he does, like, I'm in. I'm getting so many Gen Poet Society vibes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the moment where it was like, I saw how much energy somebody like this had. And then as he talked about the different experiences that he's had and how he really fosters like a team culture, um, I, I just looked at that and was like, all right, like this, this Katie, to use your words, like when you were talking about your coach of with the big t uh, back tattoo, I was like, this can work. Like, these are my people. Like, I'm going to go uh, completely off uh, direction of where I thought I was going to be leaving, leaving college. And I've never looked back. So a lot of you guys mentioned um, the coaches that were kind of hard on you and demanded a lot of you. Um, I think one of the things as a high school teacher and coach is getting young teenagers to recognize that tough love is really important, that your coaches don't hate you because they're like, you need to catch faster, or your coaches don't hate you because they're like, you got to spend more time at the boathouse. Um, so just out of curiosity, do you guys have any advice for those kids? And now that you guys have had some time to reflect back on those people that did demand a lot of you, what, what are some things you guys want to share about that? I'll go. Yeah, Katie, go ahead. Mel's lines that she heard from Volker of like turning the or turning the, turning the positives into negatives, turning the negative <laughs> into positive. Sorry, Volker. Ruin everything. Ruin all the things that you do. <laughs> um, but I think that idea of, you know, when it gets hard, there's, there's always a reason right? And a lot of it has to do with risk. And a lot of the idea, um, at least for the majority of the time has to do with failure. And I think we're in a, this is going to get really philosophical, but like we're in a society where the kids that are growing up right now in middle school and high school, they're being taught and it's ingrained in them that failure is not an option, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. I've seen it at the Ivy league where 
in one environment, in the academic environment, they're being told, like, don't fail. Somebody else is going to come take your job or come, somebody else is going to take the better grade. Whereas in rowing and any sport, we want people to fail because then they learn how to do mm-hmm. that skill or that action that much stronger and that much more effective the next go around. So I think the idea of not, we're only human, but not having a quick emotional reaction to mm-hmm. what goes on, but rather think beyond just the idea of coaches always yelling at me. It's like, well, is the coach yelling at me or what are they trying to say? And so it's mm-hmm. trying to get past that that knee-jerk reaction of having, like just being an emotional response and thinking more so big picture. I think that's a challenging part, especially like as you're younger in sport is your mm-hmm. body's going through all these crazy changes. And so <laughs> you're like trying to deal with all this stuff changing internally. And then you're emotionally invested in a sport. And it's also a time in your life where you take things quite personally because mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you don't actually have the perspective that there's a lot going on outside of you. And so it's like, you know, the world orbits or, or the, you know, everything's orbiting around your little globe and everything is internal. And I think it's really important to, as you mature, you gain perspective, but just knowing that it's when you step inside the boathouse, you're there for the collective team, whether that's mm-hmm. your single or your double or an eight or a four, or you're going for team points. It's that it's for the collective and like knowing that your coach is there to put together the fastest lineup that will make the team go the fastest. And whether that's with Bobby and so-and-so and and yada, yada, or it's you and another person, Mm -hmm. it's not about the individuals there. It's really just about putting the fastest people or the people who can work the best together in a boat. And yeah, it's, it's hard just practicing that everything is not personal and it's not mm-hmm. about you and that, that just going into every practice and race and everything that your coach is there to support you and just trying to ingrain that perspective into, into your practice is super important because it's very easy to think, oh, everyone's out to get me. Like they think mm-hmm. I suck. But really, if, you're, if, you, if you start to shape that negative thought into a positive that my coach is just here to help, Mm-hmm. then you start to see that feedback as, oh, they're making me faster rather than telling me I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. But growing, up, growing up's hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you don't really reach out as adults either. But <laughs> like, it's okay to be a human, I think. That's mm-hmm. the other part is like, I remember being in grade 12 and th- thinking, I need to get recruited and be perfect and mm-hmm. there's no space for error. And I was not a happy 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. And like, those are supposed to be kind of fun years. So like, enjoy the time with friends. And of course, like, try hard, do your best, but know that your best is just as good as like, your best is the best. That was inarticulate, but you know, <laughs> Dave, anything from you here? Yeah, I also want to just chip in. It's important to talk to your coach, like talk to them one on one. I distinctly remember having this conversation my freshman year of college with Zach at the end because I you know things you have a year and you get stressed out from school and things are hard and you get the end and I don't remember at what point but I just remember like thinking he hated me and like oh my god Zach hates me I'm like his least favorite human in the world I don't even know, <laughs> like at this point I don't know why I thought that like what went through my you know again 4 45 a.m brain but finally we I went to his office to talk to him about something and we just chatted for a little bit and I was like oh he doesn't hate me. He actually really likes me on the team. He's glad I'm there. He's excited to have me back again next year. 
huh, I wish I had done this, you know, three months ago when I like spiraled into this dark hole. Mm -hmm. um, and I see that a lot as a teacher and then having coached for years, you get students and athletes who, because you don't talk to them one-on-one -on -one or because you've never had that in individual conversation, they don't see you as a person. Or you, they don't think you see them as a person. Mm -hmm. And so the advice I give to, you know, it's important to tell students, but especially athletes, if you have a coach who you think doesn't like you or you aren't too sure how they feel about you, have a conversation with them. And it doesn't have to be a, so do you like me? Do you hate me? What's what's going, what's what's the deal with this right now? Uh, but being like, hey, how's my technique? How's this going? And just start a conversation about rowing because that's yeah. what the coach's job is to help you with your rowing or your coxing. But start that conversation and suddenly you realize like, oh, you're a person too. You actually want me to get better. You're giving me this criticism or making these decisions because it's for the benefit of me. It's for the benefit of the entire team because it is not all about you. It is a team sport. It's about the bigger picture. Um, but when you don't have that conversation, you have no idea. And then once you finally do, you kind of realize all those scary things you've built up are just, you know, stuff and nonsense. It's just, um, there was a word in the analogy I had that I just lost. It just went away like smoke, smoke and mirrors. There we go. It was, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all smoke. It's amazing the stories you can tell yourself and like you can just create some really awesome stories about how things are going that is just not just does not match reality <laughs> like we're all guilty of it but yeah just I think working on like not creating a narrative in your own head and just exploring those conversations with people and just putting yourself out there is super important yeah and it's also important later in life because you will have a boss who is scary you will have you know you'll have you'll need something and if mm -hmm. you don't know how to advocate for yourself you don't know how to like take the step to go and talk to someone it's a big thing i teach seventh graders right now and that's a big thing we just try and encourage with them is like that self-advocacy like do you need something ask for it because a lot of time you know a student may be struggling they may have behavioral issues you don't realize until you talk to them, they're like oh i've been doing this acting up this way because you know there's this very simple fix i need to not sit next to this person i need mm -hmm. to do this on paper instead of computer and so it's really good to practice when you're younger because then you may have a boss and you have to be like, oh, I actually need you to do this for me or I need this kind of support or guidance or you to actually explain what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. Rowing teaches you a lot about how to succeed in the real world because the chances of you rowing with seven of your best friends or eight of your best friends is so slim to none. And there, chances are there is someone in a seat that you personally cannot stand. Yeah. And that's okay. You don't have to love everyone in your cruise, but you have to respect them. You have to be able to work hard with them. You have to be able to communicate in a productive way. And it's, it's okay to not love everyone. You don't have to love everyone, but you do have to be kind and yeah. know how you learn a lot about communication through rowing, which is it's super valuable. You can also learn how to poorly communicate, but it's <laughs> if you, it's okay to fail and say, "Hey, you know, I I might have been a jerk to you about that practice, and I just really wanted to go fast, and I took it out on you, and I'm sorry." And then you learn. I think, it, like from what everybody's saying, is that it's it's important that if you're going to choose to do something, right, whether it's sport or anything else, like do it because you want to, not because there's an agenda, right? Mm -hmm. Like. The reason why we all got into rowing, like at one point or another, we wanted to try something. It wasn't that I wanted to try this to be the most popular person at school or anything like that, or for any type of status. Like we really were intrigued by the idea and we kept coming back because we wanted to. But when you start to think of the 
extra or external motivators or like an extrinsic motivation versus the internally intrinsic, that's where you start to get distracted. And that's where, you know, maybe rowing isn't a thing, but don't take it out on people that are there for the right reasons. For sure. I think that segues nicely into our last question, um, which is how has rowing, I know hard pivot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How has rowing um, helped you guys develop your sense of character and maybe identify like one or two specific things as kind of our final point of conversation. Um, Katie, do you want to start first? No. (laughs) (laughs) Go Mel. Okay, Okay. Mel first. In the middle. Uh, Rowing, it forced me to be really confident because you cannot lead. I was a coxswain in as a junior and an undergrad and um, trained with the national team. And you just, you can't be scared. You can be internally, but you have to project confidence to your crew and you need to be assertive and you need to be certain, but you also need to be conscious of everyone's safety. And so Mm -hmm. it just made me, it really forced me to step outside of myself and be confident for other people and taught me how to lead. And that's been really valuable. Uh, And the other thing, that it's enforced in my character is curiosity. I, uh, when mm-hmm. I started coxing, I had like most coxswains, they either, you know, have boat feel or they don't. And you can train some things, but you know, there's a little bit of a knack to it. And so I was inherently good right off the bat. And I was like, oh, I'm good. And I thought I knew everything and was very confident, but in the wrong way. And my biggest barriers were when I didn't ask questions and I was like, oh yeah, I got it. Like I've got experience. I'm good. Rather than being like, oh, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And I thought that asking questions meant I wasn't confident, but that's actually Mm -hmm. the opposite. When you show you want to grow and you show that you're willing to learn, that's a total different kind of confidence in itself. So yeah, confidence and curiosity. Those were my biggest learnings. And I think I'm a confident, curious human now. You can always be more of both, but <laughs> like to learn. A little bit of a nerd. <laughs> yes. Fair. Fair. Dave, what about you? So my first one, it, I feel like this is a weird one, but the like the more I go through life, the more it is true. But following instructions, like having a I was a rower the entire time and having a coxswain and a coach and the coxswain says, do this and you do it. You don't ask, you don't complain, you just do it. If later you have questions, you're like, I don't know why coach had us do this or why the coxswain did this you go and ask but at the moment when you're supposed to do it you just do it um and i find that in so many jobs that i have or like when i talk with friends and they talk about their work and it it's one of those things that silly comes up but like people who just follow the instructions and do what they're supposed to do do so much better or they're so much happier in their job and like yes yeah, sometimes you're like the organization may have stupid rules or your boss is asking you something that is frivolous do it anyway and then talk to them when it's done like pick mm-hmm. your battles in this but at in the moment you have to get it done um i didn't realize this till one of my coworkers, who's the the dean of students she's like we were hanging out and she was like one thing she's like you are so good at following the instructions like i tell you to do it and you follow it to a t and it's so nice to see um and all this and which is great to be like cool it, and that's why we do it but of course she also knows that when she's like you need to do this and i'm like mm, i disagree i'm gonna do it but then we're gonna have a talk about why you're wrong <laughs> at the appropriate time um and of course working with middle schoolers number one thing is you need to follow read the instructions read the instructions follow the instructions there's the reason they're written out that way 
Um, so there's that. And then I think the other big thing is always working hard. Mm -hmm. I feel like something I see a lot of former athletes and specifically Rose and Coxons, you just know how to keep working hard, especially when you need to. Mm -hmm. um, because you just, you, you know, there's, you have to work to the end. There's no stopping in the mm -hmm. middle of a piece. You know, in a 2K, you don't get a timeout. But even on erg pieces, when you're sitting there, maybe your coach is like, you're going to go do a 20K, have fun. And you know you have to do it, and you know you're going to do it. And it's going to suck, and it's going to be miserable, but you just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. And I think that's another super helpful thing I've had is that constant, like, you're going to have to work hard. Sometimes you're going to have to work harder than other people if you want to be better, and that's okay. It's great. Katie, how about you? These are awesome. I'm like writing these down. I'm going to play off Dave a little bit. Um, with with the changes that I had going from like rower to coxswain and everything and, and switching teams, I was on the women's team, then I went to the men's team um, and dealing with a couple coaching changes as well that were unexpected, both from that experience and then um, my first year in coaching was that like if things are easy, they're not going to be worth it. Right. So like the kind of Dave, what you were saying, the harder that you work at something, the more invested that you become and the more accomplished that you're going to feel, regardless of whether it's a win or a loss. But when things are, come to a close or you reach that goal, that feeling of accomplishment that, hey, I did this. Um, it's also in a feeling of accountability as well, because if it doesn't turn out, then you as you would have hoped, you can do some internal reflection to say, all right, did I really try hard? Did I really do my best to get this result? Um, so I've applied that to a lot of different areas of my life, uh, especially you know, more recently with COVID. And, um, but I, I don't try and take the easy way out. If it's not hard, it's not worth it. It's... You guys, this was so inspiring. I wish we could like teach a little class together or something. I'm like clearly missing school quite a bit yeah. so, and rowing quite a bit, um, honestly. But oh, I'm um, devastated there's no camp. camp. I'm Can so, we... so Sparks camp was the highlight of my summer. I like honestly on the last day, I didn't think I was going to cry so much. And I cried in front of a lot of parents <laughs> and it was <laughs> a little bit embarrassing, but also it's so enriching to coach and be in a space where yep. athletes really just want to learn and get better. And, to see them make friends in the span of four days, it like, mm -hmm. oh, kindness yeah. and connection, people. Those are my two favorite things ever. And oh, I always feel so connected to all y'all when I talk to you. And it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mel, I like, know. isn't it cool for your athletes to see that emotion that you have as a coach? Because it's like you're for them, they're seeing how passionate you are and how much you enjoy yourself to help them enjoy themselves. Right. Yeah, I mean, everybody, I think that the best teams are the ones where everyone benefits, right. not just the one, you know, where you get an athlete who gets faster, but that coach is miserable because all they're doing is like mm -hmm. spending their hours at the boathouse when like maybe they don't need to be there as much or yada, yada, or like athletes forcing themselves to go there. And like, yeah, the best ones where everybody is getting something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I miss um, you. I know I miss you guys. I was just gonna say I know we get really cheesy, but I miss you guys so much. So much. We're having a moment to let us have a moment. Yeah. Oh, that was the best part of my whole summer. And kind of I mean the winter was so so fun. It was 
so fun. Dave, you need to come next time. Dave, you next, have. We're going to go to Austin and it's going to be so good. I know. It's going to be so good. We could have used. Like, like being a part of like a cool team. Like it's cool when not only the campers are cool, but like the staff's cool. Yes. Yeah, we all have such a good time. There's no duds. <laughs> no. I think the, the other no one's cool. ever called me cool before, by the way. So I'm kind of <laughs> gloating right now. The other well, cool part goes. about coaching is, you know, these you hear about these really phenomenal coaches, for example, like Al Morrow um, and like, and Bill Manning. I knew who Bill was before going to Sparks camp. And I was like, oh my God, Bill was a Princeton coach. And he was like, you know, growing up as a junior, all I saw was him as this really big deal and this kind of scary figure. And then I got to coach alongside Bill. I was like, man, this dude is hilarious. Yeah. Phenomenal coach, knows a lot about rowing but he's just a cool human. Right. And I think like, that's the best part is when you stop seeing people as the, you know, by their ERG score or mm -hmm. their coaching pedigree and you start to see them as people. And it's like, wow, you're sweet. I want to spend so much more time with you and you actually make me better at what I do. We that's are so lucky. One of my favorite things about with the way we do staffing, especially with coaches, it's not like, oh, you have the best resume. We want you to come. It's like, you have qualifications, but are, are, are you fun? Like, do we want to work with you? Can you sit with us? Yeah. You, sorry, you can't sit with us. You need to. <laughs> go here. <laughs> but on, but on it's actually, we wear pink. <laughs> it's true. Katie only wears pink skirts, though, on Wednesdays. Seer soccer with tights. Yeah. <laughs> I think the important thing, especially with a, you know, a crew or coaching is that the, the dynamics got to be on, mm -hmm. like maybe they won't be your best friend outside of practice. Cool. But you have to be able to like, we can all communicate and, you know, Katie could ask me for something at practice that maybe she didn't want to ask me to do it, but she knows <laughs> that she can, because we're all going to be professional and we can work mm -hmm. together within the context of what our collective goal is, which we're all just there to make people go fast and have fun. Yeah. And on that note, signing off for episode 12, we've got Dave, Katie Varga, Katie Varga, great job, like moderating tonight, crushed it. And we've got Mel Webb coming to us from another side of the country. Actually cross-border, no. you can't even fly into Canada international. right now. No international trouble! <laughs> <laughs> like, who Not enough. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. <laughs>